0: Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Take a little bit of a break from Luke today, except this is still Luke. This is Luke 2, or 2nd Luke. 2nd Luke chapter 2, and verse 42 to 47 is what we're going to look at a bit today. But this comes after God has done an amazing thing. Peter, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit has come. This is on the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came, and Peter preached this marvelous sermon, and 5,000 people came to Christ in one day. What's your discipleship strategy? What's our discipleship strategy as a church, if that were to happen? What do you do when God moves, and it blows your expectations? Well, this is what happened. Luke tells us this. This is a a no direct speech here. Luke is reporting to us what happened next. Verse 42. So let's just stand. I'll read this and then we'll unpack it. 3,000, it said. 3,000 souls that day were added. And they, the 3,000, that's the direct referent, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. have a seat. So last year, about this time, we talked through... um, we talked through our vision for the next five years, and so we're one year into it. We got four left to go. Um, and actually, Chris, I'm not gonna use those slides today. Sorry, change of plans. <laughs> you can read about that in your, in your bulletin insert. Um, but last year when we kind of rolled out the, this idea of we're gonna pursue spiritual formation, I asked the question, where do you see yourself in five years? Or, if you think back, where were you five years ago and did you anticipate where you're at today? I want to up that question just a little bit more this morning, and that is the question of where do you think, just take a look around right now. Take a look around right now, and it's a good thing we've got our kids from grade from kindergarten and up in here today because this is an important question for all of us. Where do you see this church In 20 years. Who's going to be sitting here? Who's going to be preaching? I'll be 72. I can still preach. (laughs) (laughs) Our worship leaders are young. Maybe they'll stick around. But who's going to be leading worship? Who's going to be teaching Sunday school? Who's going to be on our elders' board? The decisions we make today determine the direction for the church of tomorrow. The investments we make today determine the church of tomorrow. Imagine this room in 20 years. The church for today, for the church tomorrow. And, and, and if you even just kind of think about this for a moment, it will be the kids today that are leading the church. Does that fill you with hope or concern? <laughs> In the middle. So how can we make that 100% hope? Hope. Spiritual formation, our vision over this next five years, and now it's down to four years, spiritual formation that results in God-centered living, heart-level faith, relational authenticity with God and others. One of the things we said in that is we envision a community that reflects the priorities of Acts 2.42, dedicated to God's word, prayer, and one another in sacrificial fellowship where the truth of the gospel transforms our hearts and minds so that our lives become continual sacrifices of praise that do not conform to the pattern of this world, but are transformed by the renewing of our minds so we may know and test and approve what God's will is, his good, holy, and perfect will, Romans 12. And to embody this, to see it happen, is a community effort that will require sacrificial fellowship like we see in the rest of Acts 2, 43 to 47. Now, it's not likely that we need to sell our possessions and our property for the good of the church, but maybe there are some that will need to do that, that God will call you to do that. It may not be called to sell our stuff for a common financial pot but a surrendering of our comfort and our priorities and our traditions for the mission of God today so that people can be reached with the gospel no matter what it costs us. It means living lives that are increasingly becoming focused, our time, our money, our education, our experience, our gifting on the mission of God for his people to make disciples because the church of tomorrow grows out of the church of today. And so there are three key actions that I believe we need to be taking in this next season of our life together. First, we need leaders. Elders, not just willing to serve, but who are actively maturing in their faith and mentoring and discipling others. Now, for a number of years, our our elder nomination process is fairly simple. Starts in January. We hand out a thing to you that says, here's a qualification for elders. Who do you think fits these qualifications? You send us a list of names. The elders board gets together. We tabulate the results. We think through the names that are on that list. Who's a member? Who's not a member? Because that's the first determiner. Who do we feel fits and, and is ready for this role? We pray through that. And then we approach men on that question and ask them if they're willing to let their name stand. And they have about a week to get back to us. And then we present it to you and you have a week to get back to us and that's the end of it. Discerning spiritual growth and maturity takes more time than two weeks. And we've had a number of guys over the years that you have come to us and said, hey, we think these guys would be great elders. And they're like, yeah, I don't think I'm ready. I would like to be mentored or discipled into that. And we've gone, and then COVID happened. Like Gary and I were working on something and then everything kind of blew up. But now we have some plans in place. And therefore we're gonna adjust our elder nominating process. We're not going to assume spiritual growth and maturity can be discerned in a few weeks. We need to ask harder questions. 1 Timothy 3, 1-7, to the elders, we're working through a book right now called Finding Faithful Elders and Deacons and every chapter is just one of those, one or two of those characteristics out of Timothy. You need a reminder, here are the characteristics. All Christians should be ascertaining to these, but for elders, there's, two must statements. This is not optional. If anyone desires the officer of overseer, he desires a noble task, the overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that they may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil." And so break down each of those and think through key questions to to explore, to ask, and and to wrestle with. Self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. I mean, these are are practical, on-the-ground things we can see in one another. And we must mentor one another in them. We must grow in these. There's all areas in here. We look at this list and go, well, I mean, I guess we should all resign then. Because we're all going to be working on this. I've got weaknesses in, every, in, in, in a lot of these things. I need help. I need mentorship. So we're going to start the nominating process actually in September this year. And then we're going to sit down with that list. And we're just going to say, we don't want you to say yes or no right now. But are you willing to enter a six to eight week trial? Uh, uh, triad group with another elder, go through this material, go through some uh, training on what it means to be part of a nonprofit board so that you understand board functioning and eldership spiritually in the church before you even say yes or no. And so it's discipleship, discipling leaders. And maybe out of that, we we don't get, like, not everybody's going to say yes, but we're at least pouring in to the next generation of leaders We need to be more deliberate and careful. We need to raise the bar because the church of tomorrow needs robust leaders today. We need leaders. Secondly, we need to be a people who are honest and authentic and real with one another. And that's not always safe. And that's why I asked Auntie Elner to share with you this morning part of her journey. There's a lot more to it. But some of you are carrying deep wounds that you desperately try to keep hidden and you're terrified of the judgment of others and so you've hidden in shame and guilt and fear and it's controlling and destroying your life and relationships and keeping you from the joy of the Lord. Some of you have lived in denial for so long you can't imagine life any other way. And that's why I'm committed to running Freedom Session as a cornerstone of our discipleship pathway. All of us have been wounded by the ravages of sin to some degree. Some very extremely, some not so much. But I can tell you right now, statistically, in the evangelical church, 50% of our women have experienced sexual abuse. And I can tell you right now from the people that have gone through Freedom Session that that number is probably too low. That's in this family. And men are controlled by anger and outrage more than by gentleness. What's an elder supposed to be? Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. And men need healing too. In fact, men, you need to be there more than anybody else. We all need healing from the ravages of sin and we, we, and we need one another in that process. We need to be able to normalize admitting being broken and struggling and we need to stop hiding from one another because that's the first thing that sin does to us. Adam and Eve, the first thing that happened is they hid from God and one another. It breaks relationships. 1 John 1, 6-7 Basically the whole thought is if if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, then his blood frees us and and and, and cleanses us from all sin and we have fellowship with one another. See that? See, see, Jesus didn't come and die just so you can go to heaven when you die. He came and died so that the ravages of sin could be healed, so your relationships here and now can be healed. Fellowship with one another to right now. That's part of the gospel. It's central. That's Acts 2.42. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, eating together, to, to fellowship and to prayer. Notice how the two middle ones have to do with these relationships. And we need healing in those. We need to bravely bring all of our lives into the light of Jesus' grace, confessing our sin and our brokenness to one another so that we can be healed. James chapter five that Elner read for us. Reconciled to God, reconciled to others, so then we can live out our calling as agents of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. But this takes courage and it takes guts to face your pain, to feel it, to share it, and to trust God and others on a healing journey. We need to be people who are honest and authentic and real with one another because the younger generation can smell a rat. They can smell when we're not being true to the gospel, when we're living a double life. When we're going to church, but we live the rest of our week as if God didn't matter. We need to raise the bar on our leadership discipleship and we need to lower the barriers of our hearts. We need leadership discipleship and emotionally healthy discipleship. Third, This comes out of uh, work that uh, a group of us did as we worked through a book called Faith for Exiles. We need to fight the temptation to live in isolation, hostility, and mistrust, and as a community build meaningful intergenerational relationships. We need to fight the temptation to live in isolation, hostility, and mistrust. Think about what the last four years have done to the community. How do we live now? Isolation, hostility, and mistrust. That's like the culture you're living in right now is just seeped with that and it affects the church. Because you live in isolation, you're hostile to those who have a different view on things than you do politically. And you just don't trust leaders anymore. That's like all of us. (laughs) And we need to fight that cultural pull to be that because it's not helping anybody. We need as a community to build meaningful intergenerational relationships. Ephesians chapter 4 Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. I think the very first sermon I preached here, actually the second one, during my candidating, I came to this passage. And I told you in that message that bearing with one another, really, literally, a better translation is just put up with one another. You gotta put up with the differences in the room. Because they're really not as important as you think. Now, quite honestly, God isn't gonna be scanning QR codes at the pearly gates. Vaccination status doesn't matter with him. It only matters if you love Jesus and have surrendered your life to him. It's the only thing he's gonna check at the gates. Doesn't matter how you vote. It only matters that you love Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. End of story. That's the kind of community that's gonna pass on the gospel to the next generation. If we let anything take priority over the greatest commandments, we will just become not a church, not gospel centered people. And we will lose the next generation. And we might as well close the doors. It's estimated right now, again, imagine but there's 40 kids in here age 5 to grade 12 just 40 statistically right now 65% of them will not come back to church after graduation we're down to 15 now there's an urgency now on this that the church of tomorrow depends on what we do today So we need to fight the temptation to live in isolation, hostility, and mistrust. We need to see intergenerational ministry as calling, equipping, and trusting the church of tomorrow today. In order to combat the come and get consumer church that North American church models have built over the past two generations, and we need to shift our thinking to come and belong and serve. See, our kids are capable. Our kids are capable of so much more. And the opportunity to serve an established, with established leaders is going to help them grow more than if we just feed them information. But generational trust goes both ways, and it will be erratically countercultural to bridge the gaps and to learn from one another. I grew up in a radically different world than my kids are growing up in, morally and technologically. Like, I remember having an Atari 2600 and a Tandy a TRS-80 that you had to feed cassette tapes into to load the next part of the program. No internet. Like, imagine, just, just imagine this for a moment. I used to like get on my bike and disappear for the whole day during summer vacation, right? My parents had no idea where I was in town. Well, maybe they did. (laughs) It was a smaller town than Grand Forks. But my friends and I, we'd be like out in the bush. No phone, no GPS, no way to get a hold of us. I mean, we were out in the bush, like setting up huge trees, and then we'd find, like, we found some wire in the bush once, and we'd tie it to another stick, and so we'd, like, lift up this big tree, and we'd make, you know, trip lines, and so our friends would be, we'd be playing tag in the bush, and you'd hit this trip line, and this tree would come crashing down. I mean, somebody got, if one of us got hurt, we had nothing, no communication tools. You know, I used to go skiing all day with no GPS, no way to contact if I fell into a snow well around a tree because I was off the trails. We live in a very, very, very different world today. Now every generation has its issues and, and that it creates and develops. The next generation will do the same thing. But let's just remember something for a moment. If you're really grumpy about the next generation, remember who raised them. <laughs> right, just think about that for a moment. I can't believe it, the kids, they, all they do, they go to school and everybody gets a participation award. Who bought them? Well, me. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> uh, we today create the environment in which the next generation of the church will grow and develop and thrive. So what environment do we need to provide now for our younger generation to be spiritually vibrant, deeply committed to Jesus, and living out the gospel in everyday life for the glory of God and the blessing of all nations, regardless of what is going on out there? So remember in Jeremiah, Jeremiah is saying, hey, it's gonna get bad. You're actually gonna be taken into exile. Don't listen to these prophets who say it's a short-term thing. This is long-term exile you're going into, so pray for the shalom, work for the shalom of Babylon. Plant your fields, harvest, do the marriage thing, be a community together in the midst of dark times, and love one another deeply from the heart. I've been listening to a series of messages by Tim Keller on the book of Habakkuk. I'd encourage you to go to uh, Gospel and Life podcast. It's just the last uh, probably six episodes that they posted on there, Tim Keller recently passed away, but they're, they're art- posting archival messages and this book on Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk speaks so well today because here's, here's a prophet of God who's, who's going, God, why aren't you doing something to the world around me? Like, like everybody's sinning and it's dark and God's like, well, it's gonna get worse. And Habakkuk's like, what do you mean it's gonna get worse? It's like, just, it's gonna get worse. But Habakkuk prays and he stays connected with God and he has a vibrant relationship with God, even though things are gonna get worse. And I think we need that kind of vibrancy today in our churches. Regardless of what's going on outside, we need to be loving Jesus, living the gospel in everyday life for the glory of God and blessing the community that we're living in. We need to help one another across generations to have a different perspective on reality. Sometimes you need a kid's perspective on things, right? I remember hearing a story years ago of, uh, you know, this family got uh, stuck in traffic on the highway because uh, an overloaded semi hit the overpass and it got stuck. It got jammed in there. There's all these people and highway crews and first responders, and they're like, how do we get this thing out? How do we get this thing out? If we pull it back, it's going to wreck the overpass and all this other stuff. This 10-year-old kid goes, let the air out of the tires. <laughs> like just drop it, just, it'll drop it four or five inches and then they can pull it back. Right? Sometimes we need that perspective of the younger kids. They help us see things just in a different way. Uh, my, uh, my brother-in-law and, and nephew, they love video gaming. And they were playing this one Star Wars Uh, Jedi game. I can't remember which one, but there's this one room, and that's my brother-in-law was just so frustrated with, because every time the door opened, he'd get, there was so many guys in there, he'd just get shot up and taken out, and he couldn't get past that level. My nephew, who was, I think, maybe 10 or 11 at the time, he's looking at this going, oh, well, I'm just going to force lift all the guys in the room from beyond the door to the ceiling, let them drop, and then they're all dead. And then he walks through the door, and my brother-in-law's like, what is that? not how the game's supposed to work, but he, he just had a different view on things. And sometimes we just need that different view of somebody that's, you know, down here because the world looks a whole lot different from this level. Sometimes you need that perspective and we need to trust our kids a little bit more. How are we demonstrating in and through our lives and attitudes that the gospel is the most attractive and better way to live, not because it's easy, not because it's financially rewarding or secures us success and power, but because it gives life meaning and fulfillment even when things are falling apart. That's the environment in which faith can grow. Are we living today in the reality that the community formed by the gospel is central to our identity and hope within the supportive family of the church that we are needing? That's what Acts 2, 42 to 47 is about. It's a committed community of sacrificial fellowship. We need leaders discipled. We need emotionally healthy discipleship and we need relational cross uh, intergenerational discipleship. It's environments, not programs, where leaders are mentored. And this is, this is a big struggle for a lot of us. It's a struggle for me because I'm such a teacher and I think in courses and I think in semesters and I think in, in linearness. But creating an environment and not a program-heavy thing where we just keep people busy but where we ask questions are you growing in the fruit of the spirit? Is your life today more full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, understanding, gentleness than it was last year? You know because we can memorize all the books of the Bible and we can memorize a ton of verses and we can we can go to church every day of the week if we had the enough programs and volunteers to do that which we don't so we won't be doing that. But what's happening in people's character? Because character is what our kids are going to learn. Character is what our kids are going to live. And so our discipleship pathway has to be about the development of our character more than anything else. Relational discipleship, discipling of our leaders, and emotional health. We need to create an environment where leaders are mentored, wounded souls are healed, and where relationships are built on trust. And this will take an investment, and it will take sacrifice, and it will take looking at things maybe a little differently. But look around the room and think about where we're gonna be in 20 years and where these kids are gonna be. And if we don't make changes now, the statistics are already there. Most of them will not be in this room, even if they don't move. First Peter chapter four, eight to 11. <clears throat> see Verse seven, the end of all things is at hand Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Lord, as we think about the church of tomorrow, we need to be the church today that will grow into that. Lord, help us to, if we need to, and where we need to, sell off the things that we're hanging on to so that the environment can be created where you will cause growth to astound us, that daily you will add to the number those who are being saved. Because we have simply opened our lives to you and we've said, nothing belongs to me, everything I am and all that I own is in service of the kingdom of God so let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Help us to be a people that looks for your hand in everything we do in life. Lord, we can no longer trust in our church programs to produce resilient disciples. We need an environment and a family, our home family and our church family and our connections we're resilient disciples are making resilient disciples that who we are at home and who we are at work and who we are at church is one and the same person who we are when nobody else is around when we're by ourselves on the internet looking at our phones reading our bibles whatever we're doing we're people who evidence your grace who absolutely are in love with who Jesus Christ is and that we're walking in a vibrant relationship with you. We're not weighed down by the tradition of our religion. Lord, help us to count all things loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Help us to love one another deeply from the heart so that we may show our kids and our grandkids that the gospel is the best news in the world and nothing will ever take its place. In Jesus' name, amen.